Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hi, everyone. Welcome to my 100th podcast. And my first guest on this podcast was Laird Hamilton. And Laird was kind enough to come back into his living room and do the 100th show with me. Laird is known for being a big wave rider. If you asked him, he would call himself a waterman. I think he really enjoys innovation. Laird also happens to be my husband. We have three daughters together. You know, I figured after all this time, I've known Laird over 25 years, I sort of would have a real sense of knowing mostly what he was going to say about, you know, what his answers would be. And one of the things I really appreciate is his ability to articulate certain feelings and not only to articulate them, his ability to trust himself. Laird is a person who doesn't mind following his own path, listening to his gut. He's been involved with other athletes in innovating sports within surfing. And they were, you know, each one at their own time was pretty highly criticized that never bothers him and it doesn't bother him to be a beginner or to look silly or to keep at it and we talk a lot about that we also talk about dealing with the known and the unknown and Laird does that a lot and so we really drill down in sort of reactions to the known and maybe the reacting less to some of the unknowns. I, as always, enjoyed this conversation and I am so grateful to all of you for joining me whenever you have time or interest. And I look forward to learning for the next hundred. Enjoy. Laird, thank you for doing my 100th show. I asked people sort of things that they were interested in learning about you. I think the first interview was really for me. So I think we should start there. A hundred episodes later. We've seen COVID take a lot of people down, either individually or couples. Yeah. Like you hear about couples breaking up. What were some of the things that you've put in place to kind of keep you sane? Was some of this conscious and did some of this just happen naturally? How did you approach this? Well, I mean, I think I have uh, the luxury of having a decent relationship with fear. I think that I've cultivated over the years has been helpful. Well, I think you always start out with unknown, no matter what fear you have. You're always starting with unknown. It becomes known because you cultivate a relationship with it, because you go and have these experiences and and then it becomes known, but it always starts unknown. And then it becomes known over time. I think this is one of those situations, again, that in the beginning, it was very unknown. Two years in, we're having quite a relationship with it at this point. And so we start to know it, which changes the dynamic. Every known fear starts as an unknown fear. It's just part of the process. 
Let's say someone's listening to this and they think, you know what, I have been feeling anxious and afraid because I think a lot of people are having this. And, and even if it's the isolation too, right? Like there's just a bunch of things leading into this. What do you think some things people could do to sort of get into that place of stillness? Stillness, just all that really means is that you're slowing it down, which gives us time to make better assessment. When you slow it down, it gives you more time to look and see what's going on and then ultimately make decisions based on those assessments. But to understand something I think is is helpful in dealing with it. You can't just close your eyes and go na 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 and think it's that's going to be sufficient. You're just going to make it go away mm. like that somehow you're going to block it out and it's going to all be all good. That just never works out well. Little kids try to do that just when they're really scared, they just pretend like yeah. they're not where they are or the situation isn't happening that is. We have to continue to go. I mean, I think I know that that's been something that's been highly useful in this most recent process that we've been in has been to continue to do what you do, like continue to focus on your day-to-day living. We seem to have a little bit of say in because this other thing we don't have a lot of say in, which seems like we have no say in it, and we're becoming victims to this thing that we don't have. I think it's dangerous to to put yourself in a position where you're anticipating what you're going to do in a situation once something happens that may not even happen. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of energy that you're going to put towards something that may not even happen. It doesn't mean don't be prepared. Is there any trait that you actually yourself have developed or is new to you because of this unusual experience of COVID? Is there something that you've cultivated new within yourself? I think I feel like I'm less anxious right now. Like in a way, I don't feel like an urgency to be doing something else, whatever that is. I don't have this urgency to do that. I feel like a little bit more just the presence of, you know, being okay. Okay, we're okay. You're okay. We're okay. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. We're okay. We don't, we're good. We don't need to do anything else. We don't need to be anywhere else. Like, let's say someone's in a business or growing a business. Sometimes there's a time to say, hey, we're going to make a push now and we're going for growth and thriving. And then sometimes it's really important to recognize, no, that's not what's happening right now. What's happening right now is if we can stay the course, Mm. or like you say, be okay, that actually is the success. And I think that's really difficult because most of us are wired to sort of say, well, if I'm not going forward, something's wrong. I think this is true in life. Like we've all gone through experiences where you have hard times, right? Someone gets sick or you go through something with a kid and you think to yourself, I would be totally fine if it was just everything status quo, like you'd pray for those days. The sad thing is, or sometimes the unfortunate thing is that usually it takes a situation to put you in that state of mind. It'd be nice to just be there already and be like part of being thankful and and being appreciative that you're okay and that the people you care about are okay, that that you're thankful for that, Mm -hmm. right? That you're thankful for just what you have instead of what you haven't gotten yet. (laughs) One of my favorite things is, you know, you get up early, you go to bed early, you go hard all day long. You're a person who doesn't sit down. You're fixing this, you're training, you're, but there will be a window. It's about 30 minutes usually. And you might sit on the couch at the end of the night and throughout the course of the day, but then you really lock in at that time, but you'll be sitting at the counter maybe if you're eating and you're looking at weather. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're showing me like, oh, the wind's like this and look yeah. at those intervals. And you're always looking at weather. Yeah, yeah. It's relentless. But I will say one of the things you do that you do very well is your ability to concentrate, focus on something. You also do that on us. Yeah. Like you readjust your focus and it's like, okay, locked and loaded. So I have learned to really appreciate it and respect it because I can see where 
tonally, sometimes my tones bleeds all together. But do you feel like sometimes like, is Gabby going to land and come over here and like be here? Like, how do you also get sort of what you need from the situation? Because you're very transparent. It's all right there. And I sometimes am, you know, in this very different gear than you. How do you think we work that out? Well, I think it's important that I don't, it's not against me, that gear of yours, that if there are things about it that I'm provoked by, Mm -hmm. it's not me doing it and it's you doing it. And I have to remember that there are so many things that you do that I'm so appreciative of and respectful of that with that will come some things like with me Mm -hmm. that are going to be done in a way that seems like, well, why would you do it that way? But you're a woman and you're Gabby and you're my wife and you're my partner. And so there's all these things that you do that I can't really ultimately, like I can't fully understand because I'm not you doing that in that position. So Mine's pretty complex. I have to say, I have said to the girls many times, you know, like your dad has never been like a teenage girl before. Yeah. So we have three daughters. So I think this extends into a lot of the relationships in the house. It does, it does. (laughs) I'm learning, I'm learning. It's like back to that known and unknown. Here we go again. Yeah. (laughs) The known and the unknown. It's becoming the known. And in a way, I guess that does change it. It helps you get through it or helps you understand it. And so you can maybe react in a way that is best for the situation, right? I don't want to say that I feel like your mom was your saving grace, but there was something about your deep respect and love for your mom. Yes. Do you ever wonder, and only Bella was born, and she was very young um, when your mom passed. Do you ever wonder what it was? And people can say, oh, why are daughter dads different than son dads? It's like, okay, whatever. These are either people who haven't had children or whatever. Do you ever wonder like, what is the universe or what is the lesson for you? I mean, I think they're too, the list is too long. It must, in my particular situation, be the best use of my skills, <laughs> or it might be the best for the, my needs to grow, to learn. Mm. So maybe both. It's the best use of my skills, and it's also the place that I have the most opportunity to grow. My mom had a couple of great sayings, but one of the sayings that she used to say was, you know, the way God punishes you is he gives you what you ask for. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times you ask for something, but you don't know what comes with it. So you just go, yeah, I want the such and such. And then you're like, whoops, I didn't know that all this other stuff came with it. So, yeah. and I can say, well, yeah, you know, when I was young, I just like, I always want to be surrounded by women. I just didn't realize that I was going to have a queen and a long string of princesses, you know, mm-hmm. like I was going to have, you know, strong female. And by the way, they're all powerful. And yeah. so it's like in my mom, Joanne's fashion, she would be highly is, I would say, not would be, but amused by it. Not only amused, but just like it would make sense coming from her, the woman that my mom was, the woman you are, the women these girls are and are becoming. And so, well, maybe I don't like men that much. (laughs) That's not true. That's not true. But maybe there's certain things about masculine traits that I don't... Like I have men that are my friends that I respect that are Well, incredible. it brings out a very aggressive side of you. It does. But there's a certain type of man that I love. And then there's there are masculine traits that I despise. And so, yes. there's, so there's some of that. I always say like if someone wanted to come on a bike ride with you, let's say a yeah. guy comes yeah. and is like, let's ride yeah. bikes. You'd be like, let's ride together. Yeah. But that if, if somebody bumps into you, like it even reeks of a challenge, yeah. you turn into... Yeah, because it brings out the worst, not only in me, but also it brings out the worst in in the masculine thing, which is competition, Competition. which brings out aggression. Man, I'm trying to avoid that. Because at the end, the final thing of that is a very dark, bad place. 
And where with the feminine traits, I don't really have that because the feminine traits are naturally not that way. Right. Well, at least well, especially it, not for not you. Not for me. Not right. for me. I should say. Maybe even it might be <laughs> more the other way. Well, it's, just, but, but it's different. But I have my, seen it. It is yeah. a very interesting contrast yeah. when I see you, how you're the most generous, helpful person, or it's like, okay, you know, to the yeah. death. Yeah. That brings out something that, yeah. that causes a lot of stuff, causes things. <laughs> With the human species and the, yeah. you know, and society and all the things that, that we deal with are, can be brought on by that because it's not collaborative. And then when there's not a collaboration, I think that's where I have a thing when it starts to become combative. Mm-hmm. Then I'm just like, oh yeah, well, the end to that is death. Yeah. So that's not, well, that's I think, not cool. <laughs> you know, but maybe that's why you're that way because yeah. that, that extreme, yeah. you have an extreme yeah. elements to your personality. That's right. It goes to the opposite place from at the house with your family. Loving the daughters. Yes. Yeah. It goes the other way. <laughs> that brings me to the innovation. You know, a lot of times I think people look at you and they go, oh, Laird is this athlete. And you are certainly, a, there's a physical athlete and a spiritual person, but there's also this highly creative, artistic I think the yearning for it to make sense to you, today when you woke up, you look at the sun as it's rising. And you said to me, Look at it. There's a fireball in the sky right now. And we're talking about all this stuff here. And it's all so confusing. And there's like a fireball in the sky. Big one. Yeah. And it's hot. <laughs> and and so you have this connection with nature. That makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. It's the place. It's your church. It makes sense to you. And your artistry is also connected to that. So you've been involved with other people developing or redefining the way people surf. So whether it was with Buzzy and Derek and the Strapped Crew and Dave Kalama and Angulo and Mike Waltz, Pete Cabrina, Rush Randall, Buzzy Kerbox, Brett Lickle, yeah. let's not forget, George Dickel, right? Yep. Okay, sh- toe, toe surfing. Yep. All right. Then you're like, oh, that's right. It's like an interesting way you can sort of break out of things. And then stand-up paddle came around and it was like, I need to train when it's flat and what can I do or take my daughter on a board. And I have pictures of you with duct tape and a canoe paddle Okay, stand-up surfing. And then you guys were always messing around. You cut the air chair off, Mike Murphy, and foiling. And and I would say all of these things you've done, stand-up paddle was the most lonely, I felt mm. like, and you yeah. just forced Locke and Jeff Sweet yeah. to go out because everyone would swear you guys. So Jeff would do it in California, Locke and at Hokeepa, and everyone would swear at you, and what are you idiots doing, and much worse, I'm sure. But you could do downwinders on Maui. It's very windy. So if it, you couldn't surf, you had something to do. Yeah, leg training. Yeah. Right. So this all led to this creative approach to surfing. Where do you have the courage to do that? Because there's a lot of criticism. There was always criticism. Toe surfing was criticized. Stand-up paddling definitely was criticized. And foiling is being criticized at the moment. Because you always say, hey, all you need is some stuff. Thomas Edison. Yeah. All you need is imagination and a pile of junk. Do you feel like you were always like that and you, it just finally came out? And how do you approach something when you're innovating? I think that there's multiple contributing factors, not just accepting things for the way they are. Like, just because we do it this way doesn't mean this is the best way or there isn't another way kind of mentality. There's a boredom aspect to it of just like doing the same thing over and, and kind of losing the inspiration, losing that thing that, that you have when things are new and fresh and you're excited by it. I think I've, I had it as a little kid. I, I think a lot of it was probably fueled by, you know, my mom was used, very helpful in helping me build my imagination. I think that came from no TV, no cell phones, no radio, no nothing, no sports, places to go, no theaters, no, like very minimal activities to go and do and having to be in your mind 
more, mm-hmm. having to be in your head. I think that was a contributing factor, just growing up down a road. And then also dealing with, you know, not just being, if your bike broke, you'd have to try to fix it or making weird wagons or just making stuff, try to make things. And I would say also the environment was very conducive for it because I was in the 60s. And so there was a lot of people that were on drugs, older people like that were friends of my mom or people that I lived next door that I saw that were doing weird experiments with board design and how to make board. I learned on these weird prototypes that were like throwaways, rejects, ideas that they would let me have. You know, Mm -hmm. they'd be like, oh yeah, sure, you can have that one. Because they'd been sitting in the back of the shop for, you know, a year or two and they it didn't work. So they were like, just give it to Laird. He'll let him. And then I think it becomes a formula. I think there's a formulaic process where you have an idea, you tinker with it, you make a prototype, you break it, you, you keep playing with it. Then you get your buddy to try it and then he likes it. And you're like, wow, this is cool. So that you're not completely out of insane. You realize he confirms that you're not, that maybe just both of you are insane. It's just not you alone. And then before you know it, the guy that saying bad things to you and calling mm-hmm. you a kook is out trying to learn how to do it himself. And then you're like, hmm, pretty stupid, isn't it? I've seen that process a few times and, and, and then it becomes a little formulaic after that. You like that process where it starts as an idea, Maybe it's on a napkin, maybe it's on a piece of cardboard from a box or something. It's a thought in your head. And and I think that there's something to seeing it too. I think that through the process of learning how to understand nature, I think it gives you this understanding that will allow you to see things a little like what other things could be, were influenced the same way. You know, you see the nature do something and you're like, if this thing did that, then this could occur and then that would happen. And then it becomes a very satisfying process of idea to implementation to, you know, and learning is a great process too, because in the beginning is when you get the biggest increments of improvement. Mm -hmm. You go from zero to one, that's a hundred percent, right? And then you go from one to two. And before you know it, you you know, you're kind of, I'd say being in increments of capability, you become more capable and more capable and to the point where the learning slows down. Then you're talking about refinement. Then you're talking about polishing and that becomes not as pleasurable. It's like building a house. You know, you you spend a year building a house, then you spend a year finishing a house and you're like, did we even do anything? Mm. Like you look and you're like, did anything even happen? When you're putting a little trim and you're polishing counters and you're making things perfect, those increments of movement are small. Those are tiny little remote things that when you're putting up a wall, that's satisfying. Put up a giant wall and you're like, ah, wall. And then I put a roof on. I'm like, the roof, you know, it's like, Mm. you like that. And so you seek that out and you just do it again. You go, here we go again. We're at that part of the curve. It is interesting as your partner and you're not on social media, right? So I run your social media account because we have businesses like Laird Superfood and XPT and it seems to be the way you got to do it now. Yeah. Um, And so there's a whole world there that you don't, care about, don't know it's existing. And there are times that you've been criticized in that world. Yeah. And I'm not blaming Lance Burkhart. Yeah. I am saying that when you were younger and you were agro guy, yeah. you were. Yep. And then coupled that you rolled right into that role in a yep. surf culty movie where yep. you were the bad guy. You do have a trait where you're not here to make people feel comfortable It's a very interesting contrast because I find you to be one of the most generous, loving people, but what you see truly is what you get. And usually by the time someone's had like your level of notoriety or even your age, 
you know how to go out and do public speaking and be very refined, but you're still not really here to make people feel comfortable. Like you're on this mission. So we have this world online. You're not part of it. I manage it for you the best of my ability. I think I have a decent amount of independence. However, your ability to kind of not care in a certain way is fascinating. But the other thing that interests me is you have people who are really frustrated that you are doing it differently. It amazes me because I'm like, okay, here's a guy who has dedicated over 50 years for real to this sport. And you say, okay, I don't believe in mastery. Let's say you're probably a subject matter expert. And most of us want to do what we're good at. So here you are a highly competitive person, maybe the most. And yet simultaneously, you really don't care. You're not interested in like going out and just being really good at this thing. You're trying to do all these new things. Why do you think that it makes people uncomfortable? I'm just doing it for myself. Like I'm doing it for where I'm being led. I'm continuing to do what I guess what I've always done, which is go with my instinct, not be influenced by ultimately people that don't care, right? So at the end of the day, if I'm doing anything that's provoking people, it it probably has a lot to do with the fact that they're not doing something that maybe I'm reminding them that they're not doing. And which is maybe trying something new, for example, you know, somewhere in there, I'm not being obedient, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, you're not being obedient. You're not obeying the rules. You're supposed to be this. And this is what you do. And that's what we do when we do this. And I I don't know what to say other than I'm just going off of what I'm interested in. You know, what's interesting to me at this point, after all the surfing that I've done, after all the waves I've ridden, after all the boards I've disciplines that I've been involved in. I'm just following the path that's the most interesting to me. The feeling that I get, that feeling, that whatever that feeling is that we all search for, I'm just following this feeling and I'm getting it over here and I'm not getting it over there. And so if I'm not doing something, it's because I'm not getting the feeling that I'm looking for. I'm getting the feeling that I'm looking for over here and I'm going to continue to follow that. It's worked for me this far. That feeling that I'm searching for that has brought me all the greatest experiences. I'm in this house with you, with these beautiful daughters. Everything that I've done is because I've been following the feeling. And so I'm not going to stop now. And just because I got people like somehow thinking that they know what the feeling is that I'm looking for or that they have a better idea of the feeling that I need than I do, I can't help you. Mm. I'm sorry. I just have to go. You know, I'm just trying to stay honorable to that. You know, honor that feeling, honor that intuition, honor that instinct, honor that draw, honor that mission, that bone. That's the bone. I think a lot of us never got the opportunity really to develop that enough. Or you get to be an adult and you think, oh, you're supposed to put that away. And I think it's actually the opposite, right? I think it's something that how do we find the way to surround ourselves, whether it's with people or in environments, to keep cultivating that instinct so that we can find our own ways and purposes and not be constantly told how we're supposed to be and think and feel. And and quite frankly, I use you a lot as a source of built-in strength because you do that naturally. I have a bit of that, but you have it in spades and I will utilize just being around you to try to get that more in my own life. I really appreciate that. I do want to touch, and you don't need to give details, but recently, let's say in the last year or so, Mm -hmm. you have found a location that is new to you. You were sort of doing homework and this and that. I do find it fascinating that you're looking always for sort of a new frontier where there's nobody. 
Mm-hmm. What a is a new thing where there's nobody, a new frontier where there's nobody. Yeah, I'm always it, looking for the nobody. <laughs> I'm just in search for the nobody. And especially <laughs> surfing because it's crowded. Yeah, yeah. I keep saying you're, I'm going to have to go under the water because there's no one out there. So that's going to be the next, the next. At some point, there's going to be a time when it's like, you know what? The surface has got way too many people. We're going to have to go underground, habitate down. underground. The humans are going to have to start living underground just because- yeah, forget Mars. There's just too many people on top. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Okay. I will say that I have experienced receiving something special that you've intuitively sensed that you've needed and you just didn't know when and how it was going to happen. And Tahiti, that wave in Tahiti at that time- for the, with that technique was one of those moments. I think I've had a lot of those. That was just a very, yeah, very pressured. Some of the other ones are longer and extended over mm-hmm. periods of time. But I think that you get somewhere within it because you can't earn it. It's like a blessing. You don't earn it. You get it. But but there is something about when you continue to dedicate yourself towards something consistently uh, over, as you would say, 50 years or, or more or less, depending, yeah. that you do get the opportunity to have those special things right when you need them. So you kind of have to be there. Mm -hmm. I always loved the victory through attrition. I always thought that was a great thing because of the nature of, if you're just the last guy standing, you automatically win. I always loved that. Doesn't you don't even have to be any good. No one else left. You're right. the winner. You're yeah. like, well, I didn't do anything. You're like, yeah, I know, but you're the only guy here. So you, you, you get you it. Hate it. Yeah. So I always love that because it speaks to the dedication, that discipline, right? At some point, if you weren't the top 10-year-old, then you might be the top 20-year-old, but you might be the top 30-year-old. Or if you weren't in none of those, you'd be the 40-year-old, 50-year-old, <laughs> the 60-year-old. Like, like, I'm number one. Event, eventually, <laughs> you're, you know, eventually, you're number one. Or not, or just, you don't even need to be number one. You're just number the one. Yeah, you're the guy or girl. <laughs> So speaking of, you know, dangerous, people are really always intrigued. Can you remember sort of a moment, maybe there's been so many, and I know you you often say that a lot of times you were scared so much before, let's say, the age of 10. But is there something in the more recent 20 years or 25 years of surfing that you recognize that as a very heavy moment? So obviously Chopu, Tehopu, that wave, the millennial wave was, you knew in it, and when you came out of it, that it was yeah. a very heavy and dangerous situation. Yeah. Is there another time and location that you... You know, the day I spent on the ocean, not sure if I would ever see land again. That was lost at sea. That was just jet skiing between islands. and Just jet skiing between... Yeah, between Maui and the big island. And there was bad uh, fog, and so the visibility was bad. And then my fearless helicopter pilot, Don Sure, I told him my compass bearing. He's like, oh, that's way too low. You know, go a little higher. So I kind of split the difference. But the current was excessively strong. The visibility was bad. And I didn't have instruments of any kind. I just, I had a, I had an EPR, which saved my life. Mm. Ultimately, that was the thing that got me. But I got pulled off course. And I got to go out and just kind of sit and float. I was in my snowboard boots mounted to my foil board at the bottom of the ocean in Hyena one time where I rode that long wave mm. in Take Every Wave. I was at the bottom of the ocean. Connected to your connected to your board? Yeah. Well, so for people yeah. who don't know, that, that shrud is maybe four, feet, I don't know, four yeah. feet long. Yeah. And that rig weighs... Yeah, like 40, 30 or 40 pounds. And you have snowboard boots and they typically have quick release. You know, I didn't wasn't able to get down to my feet. I see. Um, and uh, get yeah. them and get them undone. And I did eventually get them undone. But I was down there at the bottom in the dark. You know, kind of mounted to a sea anchor, like attached to the bottom, thinking about hmm, this might be not great. 
come on, Laird. You can't just I've be had like, a few of not those. great. So you're down I've there. I've had and those. You're... I got stuck under a waterfall. I've, I've, Do you I've have been the in feeling? an avalanche. Like I've had, there's a long oh, list of them. I know. I know. There's been a long, a lot of those. But in that moment, see, so they're so different. Like avalanche, you're yeah. topsing and turning. Yeah. When you're pinned at the river yeah. and you're pinned you're on the held, rock, that's yeah. different. But when you're sitting at the bottom of the ocean, yeah. is your gut saying- With an anchor tied to your feet? This isn't it? Or is it truly unknown? Unknown. Is it? Yeah. Is this it? That's the question. Is this it? Is this how it's going to be? Is this how it's going? Is this how I'm going down right here? <laughs> is this how I'm going down? I mean, we're, you know, we're all going to have one. How's it going to go down? <laughs> how did your departure go down? <laughs> you know, there's glamorous, there's, you know, more glamorous ways. There's some very unglamorous ways. We're all going, which, you know, what's yours going to look like? I don't know. Those are the times that you get to think, right? So you have a thing about getting up back on the horse. Yeah. Like if you've gotten hurt, you yeah. get back on the horse, you go the opposite way. You don't yeah. actually, because you mm-hmm. believe that you don't want that fear to bake in. Yeah. Okay. So you're yeah, yeah. sitting at the bottom of the ocean, you have, you're anchored down and it, it's a close call. Yeah. When you come up from that particular, let's say, situation, do you ride another wave or do you call it for the day? Yeah, I know. The only way you don't ride another wave is if you just physically can't. Like I broke my collarbone at Jaws that time and I caught another wave. I actually wish after that I didn't catch another (laughs) wave as I was going down the wave. I was like, this is a bad idea. But it's like you want to finish on a high note, you know? You want to finish on a positive. Like, you know what? I missed that one. Let me just make one and then I'll be, okay, now I'm done. I'm good. So yeah, when you can, I've had some injuries where it was like, not going to do another one. But when you can, yeah. How about a hokeepa that windy day with that big board and yeah. it went punctured your cheek? Yeah. All the like a hole. I had the audacity to ask you after you had been at urgent care yeah. and come in, but you went and had a smoothie and an espresso before urgent yeah, care. Yeah, well, I because, knew that, I knew it was gonna take a while. Yeah, of course. I knew I was gonna go sit there and I was gonna be like <laughs> itchy, salty, and sandy, and I'm gonna and be in a cold room waiting for somebody to stitch my face up. Yeah, um, that was my favorite because we met after. And I go, yeah, yeah. I stopped well, the smoothie here. Smoothie felt good. Had actually. an espresso. And yeah. what'd you do? Just drink it from one side, though. Yeah, it might have tripled out a little, <laughs> 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 a little I, smoothie down your face. My favorite is sometimes I ask you like the most reasonable question. Yeah, I know. Most, and yeah. you give me a. <laughs> Like yeah. you're so, you know, incensed. So I, I said, uh, well, who helped you in after your 14 foot board, you know, yeah. put a hole, seriously, a straight yeah. hole in your yeah. cheek. Yeah. And you're like, what do you mean? I wrote another one in. And I was like, oh, of course. Yeah. Like, that's well, the way you would do it. I didn't need help in. I still had four working limbs. <laughs> yeah, of course. What was I thinking? Injuries. Always. And aging. Yeah. Let's clump these together. I do have some areas I want aging to Aging is like one big injury that just doesn't get better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and we're doing it together, yeah, mind you. It's I not like that. one of us yeah, is yeah, and yeah. one of us isn't. Yeah, yeah. Do you find it fascinating as a couple? Like, do you look over and think, wow, my wife's getting older? Does it ever trip you out? No, I mean, truth. Don't act because you, okay, our vision gets fuzzier, so we don't see it quite as well or whatever. You know, that's that whole gift. You know, like, that's why God takes your eyesight, you know? Well, you know, um, it's, it's a little bit like boiling the frog, you know? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's over such a long period of time, you don't even notice. You you're don't even, like, you're not like, oh my gosh, you've changed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a slow process of changing, you know? Yeah. It's like when you're with Brody and you leave for a month and you come back and she's six inches taller. Yeah, if you're yeah, there that's true. Yeah, that's during true. During the month, you're like, yeah. I mean, your head's higher, but she doesn't seem like nothing's happened. So for me, you know, I have to be honest, I'm a person who, like, when things are the way they are, the notion of it is what it is. Okay. I generally have a tendency to not spend too much time okay. on it, right? Like aging. Yeah. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. Some days I notice certain things. I'm like, whoa, whew, okay. And 
And then you go, okay, back to, are we doing everything we can do for the most part that is in our control? And then just sort of let the chips fall. That's why I threw the mirror away today. Brody's mirror. <laughs> With the lights. Just get the mirrors magnified. and throw the mirrors away. And then you're like, wow, I'm young. <laughs> but, I, but I wonder sometimes like that experience of like, if I just experience life from my inside mm. looking out, yeah. I feel pretty good. Yeah. I feel um, great. Yeah. I, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. I feel productive. I'm busy. I have new challenges. I think that's the main thing, right? Is like yeah. keeping yourself busy. But you came into the room the other day and you said to me, <clears throat> you know, this aging thing's a trip. Right? Yeah. And I was like, that's exactly right. Yeah. Because you don't have any reference really other than, the, you know, I think the best thing that's, is your children, that your kids, you're like, wow, I have an 18-year-old. Oh, wow, I have a 25-year-old. Well, yes. I guess I must be getting older. Yes. Like that, you have that reference. Yes. And unless you're like looking in mirrors, I mean, you got some gray going, you're like, oh, yeah. I got gray hairs. You're like, whoa, I got gray hairs. I yeah. got more than one. Just part of it. Yeah. It's okay. Maybe I'm a little sore and more sore often, and but I've always been sore and I'm always hurt and I'm always trying to get better. It's like not getting better as quickly or, but maybe that's the nature of this injury anyway. Like, so I'm not. See, I'm, I think this is key what the, you're it's saying. It's the known and the unknown. Is I don't read too much into it either mm. because mm. I feel like if you do that, then you you move it in, you name it, and then well, you've, you and it. you're like, okay, that's well, right. because I'm 50 or I'm 40 yeah, or I'm yeah, 60 yeah, yeah. or whatever, yeah. this is what's happening versus, okay, this is what this is right now. Yeah. And I think this is really important, but it's also helpful to be around people that don't complain about their health. They're sort of proactive. They don't yeah. talk to you about like, well, you, what you should or shouldn't do based on your age. Obviously, you want to make good decisions. Yeah. I'm not saying that. And I think that this is a, a really key thing. But also, too, I think it has a lot to do with how you perceived yourself, how you perceive yourself, period. What's your value? Yeah. And then how you perceived yourself 10 years ago versus how you're going to perceive yourself in 10 more years. So if you have really high standards of what you think you are, mm -hmm. like you have some real tangible measurements, you might be a little bit disappointed because part of the thing is just that's what's happening, right? With the cycle of life, With right? nature. That's what's going on. So if you have all these like things that you're set up as a reference to your life, then it's going to haunt you, right? If you have a system in place of measurement like that, that's going to constantly bombard you. And, and again, it's like your ego is going to be a big piece of that. Like, well, I used to do the such and when I, and you're just like, oh, here we go. Like, never mind. Like, I think it's important, like you're saying, not to compare yourself to yourself. Again, I think it's a big part of it is the ego, right? And us wanting to be great at what we do. I know it. I've seen it where you get trapped by that. You get trapped by your skill at something because that's your identity, right? Yeah. That's how you identify yourself. Maybe I'm hoping on a trajectory that doesn't put me into a situation for disappointment. Like, like I'm like, okay, I'm starting from scratch, age zero, and let me put myself on a trajectory in my life that doesn't put me into a position of regret and disappointment. The real game, when it's all said and done, is this one over here. It's called don't have any regrets yeah. and don't put yourself on a trajectory for disappointment. Trajectory, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about training because people are always very fascinated about your training. And wait, before I move on to that, one of the reasons you were driving the jet ski from the Big Island to Maui was because you were in the movie Waterworld. Yes, yes, I was working in Waterworld. And you were a smoker, what was yep, it called? I was a smoker. And then I also doubled for Kevin Cosner on a couple of scenes, but his clothes didn't fit me too well. So. They didn't? No, they were like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what was the line he said to you when he said goodbye to you? After I got lost at sea and then I... Got found, and then it was like the last day of shooting. Yes. And he said, be as safe as you can be. <laughs> and I was like, 
That kind of leaves it open because I've got he didn't stuff. say be as safe as possible. No. He, he said, said be, be as safe as, as you. you can be. <laughs> what was that like with all these stunt, knowing <laughs> with these these stunt guys? Yeah. Like when you had downtime, yeah, yeah. all the stunt men. Oh. And then what is it, second unit? 50. What is it, second 50 unit? 50 stunt director? guys, yeah. Sports and uh, stunts unlimited, 50 stunt men, and we would just go crazy. What do you mean? As Chad Randall, uh-huh. the stunt coordinator, he would try to explain to the producers why we needed to be out jumping waves on jet skis and doing all the stuff that we were doing was to keep us sharp, keep us in So in 50 tune. guys, if they weren't working on the actual what they were, if first unit was... You guys were just going nuts off to the side? Somewhat nuts, yes. I would say yes. I would say yes. Like severe. Breaking things. and Severe. And you shot for a year, right? For a year. Yeah. It was serious. I learned on, actually on that film that yeah. I didn't have the capacity to wait on a set. You know what? I appreciate this film work. This film works great. But I just realized at that point I'm going to be a no-go because I just am not capable of actually just waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And but waiting get ready, hurry up. But are you ready? Then, okay. No. no yeah. Wait. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Come on. No, no, no. Not yet. Okay. I just was like, that's bad. So... So training, you're the most disciplined, systematic, freewheeling, Free, freewheeling. freewheeling person <laughs> I've ever seen, where you train all the time, but then you don't want to do the same things all the time, but then you sort of do certain practices. If it was possible, somebody was listening and they think, okay, I haven't put this much time in as Laird. And let's start with health practices, never mind actual physical training. Yep. For you, in your mind, if, yep. if you could curate for people, from your experience, your point of view, things that really feel like definitive pillars for health practices. Let's okay. just go survival. Sounds good. Right. What's the first thing? Breathing. Air. air the mm-hmm. most important thing there is. Mm-hmm. You, you don't live long without it. So we go air first. So air is the king. Within air is breath work, cardio, swim, run, bike, row machine, whatever, something that induces good breathing, which usually it's an activity because it's hard to have the discipline to induce strict breathing on your own. The whole relationship between CO2 and oxygen and your nose and your... And and there's a ton of tools. Patrick McCune has books. James Nestor has books. uh, Belisa Vranich has books. So for people listening, there are so many ways that you can do it, but breathing and doing it correctly and being as much a a nose breather... As and even if you're you a can. runner or a biker or a swimmer, just right. start working on when breathing you through your nose mm-hmm. and do patterns, kind of a hypoxia training, any of that stuff, right? So we love that, right? We okay. love we love the breathing tween, but we know you gotta have good sleep. If you're not breathing, you don't live. But if you're not sleeping, yeah, you're not you're hurt. So you, you go to bed early, you have very intense sleep hygiene, your room is cold, you're on a chili pad, yeah. everything is dark, you don't look at screens before you get up early. I, on the other hand, struggle with sleeping. I try to unwind at the end of the day. I will take magnesium and eat occasionally an edible. Well, calcium, yeah, calcium, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah magnesium yeah. and or yeah. even edibles. Yeah. We do it differently. I get up about an hour later than you. I'm personally offended by waking up in the dark. You, yeah, but you have come a little bit over to the dark side. I have. You, you've toned down the light at the end of the day. Yes, the, the ro- I go light to bed in the earlier. Room, light in the bathroom, all that <laughs> light, the stimulation. And you also go into the bed earlier now. I see it rubbing off on you. You don't snack. I like Keep, to be hungry. Yes, I was going to say. I like I to be see. hungry when I eat. I think that's a really yes. important thing is to be hungry when you eat. Um, I would say diet, but I'd say within that hydration consumption, like what are you eating? What are you sticking in them? What's your fuel? Yep, you know? So we got, we got rest, we got air, we got rest. And what's the fuel? I want to 
have a caveat on that though. Let's say you go surfing for three days. When you come home, you consume twice as many calories for yes. multiple days yes. that go towards your recovery. Yes. So it's also, yeah. what are you doing in your life? Because yeah, yeah. when you're active, you eat more than any person I've seen. Yeah. And then you are typically in your day-to-day pretty restrictive. Yeah. You know, there's a certain level of that, like burning your calories, but it's also the amount of energy you're using. You're exhausting yourself and you're just consuming all the energy in your system. You got to rebuild, right? So hydration is a piece of that. Having minerals, playing with all these special ingredients. What are your liquid drops that you like? There's minerals. Yeah, there, so you like- liquid mineral formula mm-hmm. and Shilajit and all the superfood stuff that we use, <coughs> the, the coconut hydration and the mm-hmm. all the good creamers. and I mean, all this stuff is all part of that hydration and energy, right? So mm-hmm. I love caffeine. Caffeine's an incredible tool mm-hmm. for training. Like, hey, I'm going to go run. I'm going to go bike. I'm going to... But again, that's part of fuel. We have air. We have fuel. We have the fire. Mm-hmm. We have the, the oxygen for the fire. We have the recovery. And then we move into thermoregulating, I call it, which the chili pad's part of that. But I think that wearing too many clothes and not being able to go in the cold water or not be able to... In the sauna or being able to go out on a super hot day and work in the in the middle of the heat and having all that Adaptive. environmental adaptability, adaptability, right? The benefits that you get from that. We haven't done a workout yet. I think working out comes way down the list. It comes actually even below activity because it's usually as a supplementation for the lack of, Mm. for me in my case, the right conditions, the right environment to be able to actually do what I really want to do, which is these, these activities. So, but there also is the recovery of that too, right? There's all those pieces of hardest things to do or all these little tedious exercises Mm -hmm. just make no sense, but they're all about trying to strengthen you, right? All the weakness, your shoulder, the rotation, playing with the Turkish clubs from- Kenny Boat Wrestling. Kenny, Kenny Boat Wrestling. So it's really, if you look at it, it's all about the nurturing of the vehicle of the body mm-hmm. so that it can go perform. Perform has a lot of faces. It's, so for you, if you line things up, flexibility is important to you. You do lift yep. a bit of weight. It's, yeah. I've been doing your training lately. Your I know, lift, it's very your lift, weird. Your lift circuit. I've been doing this for like yeah. 12 years and it's in the last year. You know COVID, you must have been desperate. I just like to turn my brain off and just do what I'm told. But you do yeah, say, do it, do it. The, just don't tell me what to do, but that's I'll do it. it. Show me what to do. Don't tell me Laird what to do. Laird will come to work out. And sometimes he has like, for example, your neck muscles and your back muscles are bigger than most people, or certainly the people I train with. And so I'm always like, you'll be doing something. And I'm like, for a normal person, that would be very dangerous. And I look at the other people in the workout and I'm like, you're not doing it like that. But we have a rule that you're like, don't tell me what to do. Yes. Don't tell me so that's how we yeah. we keep we keep. I'll that. follow you. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Don't tell me what to yeah. do. And you have the XPT pool training because yeah. it's a way to work very very hard without pounding yourself. Because again, yeah. it's the long story. Yeah, I think sometimes well, people the pool get into ama- the water is an amazing environment mm-hmm. to work in. You deal with oxygen deprivation. You deal with hypoxia. Mm-hmm. You and then you can beat yourself up pretty good and not be hurt. And, and that's the problem with the lifting stuff. That it'll hurt you. And then there's the activities, you know, there's the paddling and the and riding on the mountain. And again, back to variety, right? It's back to... And I will say, you go at to even bigger levels. Like you'll say what you're reading and yeah. what you're watching. Yeah, yeah. So your fitness, you're talking about all of that. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important part. And, and then you've had to navigate 1,000 non-surgical stitches, never yeah. mind broken bones and recovery... Let's say you have like right now, even like a niggle, like you're, something's bothering you and you're doing your detective work and trying to figure it out. And it's a bummer. And if it lasts more than 
five days, it can wear on you. Yeah. It can wear on a person's spirit, especially if they're an athlete. So where do you go within yourself to not get disenchanted, to believe like, I'm going to figure this out? One of the places I go is to the file cabinet and pull out those other 150 injuries that I've had that I got through and that I, you know, and so I have that treasure chest Mm -hmm. to go to. My support group is all the injuries that I've had that I've recovered from or not recovered from and learn how to adapt with and learn how to deal with and work around them and adapted to either the lack of mobility or just the nature of the injury itself. That's a very helpful thing. There's a formula to recovery, right? There's a formula that you use in the process of recovering them. And a big piece of that is just the psychology around that and being okay with it and knowing like, hey, listen, when you break something, it's going to be a year before your brain goes, hey, I'm not going to even let you go to that place where you got hurt. One thing I have observed is you're one of the most compliant go-beyond patients. So the other thing is, is that you participate in your improvement. You don't complain like, oh, this is hurt. You're constantly, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something new. That treatment, let me ask this person, let me. So I think there's a lot of that as well. I watch you where you'll keep going and moving If something's not feeling great, you'll just adapt until you can get that all the way worked out. So I think it's important for people to remember, too, if you do any type of activity, something's always happening. I mean, my (laughs) compliance comes out of just my success with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And also I'm compliant within the things that I know that work. Right. If I go to a doctor and they do something, I'm like, eh, yeah, I don't think so. Saw that thing off or I'll go against the recommendations of a physician if I know it's contrary to what I've had success with. Right. When I had my hip surgery, I was talking to Mr. Pendenberg. Hey, da, da, da. And he's like, Mm, case study of one. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. Like, Doctor. I'll take the case study of one and be like, I'm doing it this way because yeah. I've had success. And that goes back to the instinct. That's as right. Well. Then the instincts come out of all of those experiences yeah. that lead you to, yeah. like, hey, every time I walk around the corner like that, there's a giant bear. Like, you got a big bad feeling about this corner. And again, you have the contrast to that, which is this the success that you've had, what I've learned about wounds. And I would just take every three quarters of all the wound medicine and just throw it in the garbage can. I'm like, you don't need all that. And if anything, that's going to actually slow the healing down. So don't keep your wounds wet. Most that's of them, right. right. Yeah. Obviously, Laird, I could go on and on. I will say this. People asked how Laird Superfood started. This is something you were doing for many, many years as a natural practice. A gentleman named Paul Hodge, who's a friend, who's an entrepreneur. You would give your friends these drinks before they would either train with you or go out and do their own training. And Paul started messing around with that. and He had one of my concoctions and he yes. was like, what is this? I need this in the <laughs> well, morning. And, and then, a lot of people were yeah. doing that. Yeah, they were yeah. like, well, how yeah. much of this and how yeah. much of that? And so yeah. he made the first powders and and yeah. literally- A powdered version of that. Original like, creamer. Yeah. The third or fourth rendition was the original, which is the authenticity of the foundation of the brand. Like that's where the brand came that's from. That's right. Again, it's back to the, yeah. following the voice, following the feeling and not, you know, I have this formulated plan that I I didn't learn that way. I learned, I went to another school. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked about the fact that you used to drink Pinot Noir. You know, it was, I wouldn't say it was easy. I would say from my point of view, as somebody who lived with you for about 11 years of that, I always felt like you were working through something I felt like you were dealing with some demons or something. And I I was always like, you know, Laird is a smart person. And I also sort of know your inner health, meaning your spirit health, if you will. I always felt like you were not a completely self-destructive person. And I was always hoping that you would 
navigate into a different time, to be honest. I, I often thought that it was confusing to you that you were having sort of this success in your personal life and in your work life. I thought that it was something confusing for you because you were raised a certain way and you were told certain things about yourself. And for me, I was like, oh, I feel like he's navigating feeling weird or not shamed, but like this weird thing that like, whose life is this? You know, what's that talking heads? Like, that's not my beautiful house or my, you know what I mean? This fine life. Yeah. And so I, I often observed that and I was like, wow, okay. And, um, and you decided, you know, we went through some things and you decided, okay, this isn't working. So whatever, 15, 14 years ago, you just stopped. And what was interesting about your drinking was it was at night, you were still in bed by eight o'clock, you would get up and train like a crazy person. You would, for the most part, be at home usually. And so it wasn't like this so obvious. It was like this sort of subtle thing. But you decided to just say, okay, this isn't serving my life anymore. And I think there's just a curiosity about what was that for you? First of all, I think I had, like everybody, doing something that they're not proud of. You have a tendency, oh, I can, I got this under control, mm-hmm. or I can stop anytime I want to. Mm-hmm. And so I think I went through those times, different ones, and stopped for a couple of weeks or stopped everything. My mom had another really great parable for life, which is, you know, if you can't be true to yourself, you can't be true to anyone else. And so I thought, well, I'm pretty full of shit if I say I can and I can't. Mm. And I think after doing it a few times and seeing that and then realizing that, first of all, nothing good was going to come of it, but it was going to just ruin my life. Like I felt like it had the potential to, something was going to happen to me or something's going to happen to you or something going to happen to the family or something's mm-hmm. going to happen to all of it. Or There was nothing good coming out of it. Mm. I feel bad about it because, uh, yeah, you say you can, but you can't really, or you mm-hmm. don't really want to, more importantly. It was like an opportunity for the ultimate discipline, to see how disciplined I am. Say I'm disciplined. How much discipline do I actually have? It was like a combination of a few things that came together at the right time. I think the girls, you, my mom's voice, and it came together. And it was an opportunity to prove to myself I could actually say and do something that I meant, which means that I could probably do that a lot more in other parts of my life. In the process of doing it, I played all kinds of games. I replaced a wine bottle with a Pellegrino bottle. And, you know, I had a wicked sweet tooth. I realized it was really just more of a sugar addiction than anything. Sure. And it definitely impairs your motor skills and your judgment. We know that says it right on the bottle. So it got down to that. Did I have the discipline and could I actually follow through? And then who was that for? Ultimately, well, it was for you guys. For me first, Mm -hmm. because it has to be for me. What I realized is that if you can't do it, you really don't want to. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have any chance, you have to really want to. Genuinely want to. Not, yeah, I want to, but I really don't want to because... But sometimes sober living is boring. I've never been a person who, because I grew up with around people that it was pretty radical in the Caribbean. I was like, oof. But I could see where it's like, God, that is boring. You know, like well, I'm, I'm, I have enough places in my life I can be unbored. <laughs> I am um, for anyone you know who's listening to this. The other thing is, I heard a line that I thought was really important when it comes to something like this, as well as like approaching anything that we're trying to improve in ourselves, which is to do it from a spiritual point of view. So there's no judgment. Casey mm. Crown said this, and so it's like it's only in love. But then, okay, what's the thing to how you can really? Then you have to sort of be practical about yeah. how you're going to do it. Yeah. So for those of you who've stuck with us, um, well, obviously we're at our house. You've heard our daughter. You've heard just a lot of action, the dog yeah, and everything. It's just the way it is. Busy day in the house. So somebody wanted to know, what have you learned from me? 
I, this is not my question. What have I learned from have, you? Have you learned anything from me? Yeah, absolutely. In almost 20? You continue to help me with one of the greatest things I've learned from the ocean. You continue to help me with that. Patience. I've learned patience. I think being patient for the family, being patient for you, I think is something that I've continued to, to learn. <laughs> By being patient, I reap the rewards of being with you. I reap the rewards of the family. I, be, I reap the rewards of the whole situation. I've learned a lot of things from you, but being patient is something that, yeah. man, yeah, being okay with like, hey, I'm in the car. Whenever you guys are ready, I'm ready. And things being done at a pace that that might be foreign to me, might not be how I want it done. That's all connected to that. Like, mm -hmm. okay, all right. Like, but in a way, maybe it's actually a better way than what I want, or it happens faster than I thought it could. Patience is part of stillness, right? And stillness is usually where better decisions are made, right? right? And it's something that I'll, I'll have an ongoing battle for my whole life. Today in traffic, I was I responded quickly instead of just taking it easy. <laughs> I got I to take it easy. Take it easy. Now. Patience, patience. That's a practical thing. But the thing that, that I've learned from you specifically, if you want to get all mushy, okay, we're going you. there. Maybe I just didn't want to start there. I, figured, I, figured, That's good. I, I think we'll end there. So, we'll end there. So, I, I, so I'll learned, tell you learned. what I've learned from you. Okay, okay. No, okay. I've learned so okay. much. Okay. I've learned... Patience? <laughs> no. I've learned just not to take anything personal yeah. in, in that way. Yeah, and I've yeah. also learned... That's patience. Yes, is that to not be uncomfortable with momentary confrontation. I was a person who I took being stoic to a very far degree, but also that was connected to my fear of being confrontational or vulnerable, right? And so you taught me about like, just put it on the table. Like you just put everything on the table all the time. And another thing is, is that you clear the decks. People will say, well, why do you think your relationship works? I think you're a clear the decks person. I think it's, there's no sweeping anything under the rug. And that may, used to make me uncomfortable. And you're very comfortable with that. Like, no problem. Sometimes I'm uncomfortable with you doing it with other people. I start sweating. I'm like, oh, here we go. Laird's going to really just be like, what's up? You know, and it's just, here we go. <laughs> and the willingness to be vulnerable, to be like, I care. Yeah. This is important. I'll risk. These are things that were hard for me. I did it, but in a controlled way. Yeah. But that's way. connected to putting everything out there. And that's I know. connected to just laying it out. I know. And you do that very easily, easier than most people. And yeah. I just want to say that I will end this interview with the thing that you say to me, because of the two of us, I'm the more fearful for sure. And I don't mean in that, oh, he's so brave. He rides big waves. Mm. I think you have a lot of faith. I think um, yeah. just the well, way you're hardwired. Part of it's the dynamics of our positions. Like I, yeah. I'm in the, you know, just be less fearful position. Yes. Send him out. He's less fearful. <laughs> Go. Yes. No. Yeah. And she's more fearful. <laughs> stay. Keep it home. Observe. Yeah. 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 But what I want to say, you say this to me a lot, and we work together. We we're in our yep. businesses together. Yep. You always say to me, you know, Gabby, it, it's all going to be okay, and it is okay. And I really appreciate that. It's my honor. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.